Uh, well, today marks the very first Sunday in Advent. Uh, and Advent uh, marks the beginning of the liturgical year or the Christian calendar. Uh, so I want to begin this day by saying, Happy New Year! Right, whoa, it's a, it's a start of a new liturgical year, so it's a great day. Uh, and uh, as we learned last week during our hanging of the greens, uh, that the liturgical color that kind of points us to the royalty of Christ is purple. Uh, so I've worn my purple pants today. Uh, so I am on, I'm in full-on liturgical mode today, so uh, excited about that. Uh, well, the word Advent means coming or arrival. And on one hand, Advent is a season of celebration of the coming of Christ uh, at, at the very first Christmas. Uh, it's this joy-filled season where we remember that God has become flesh and he's made his dwelling among us. Uh, but on the other hand, Advent is really about a journey toward a new reality or a new way of being. Um, and I think, I think it's significant that the Christian year begins with waiting. Uh, I think it's significant that the Christian year, uh, the day on which we say Happy New Year, uh, actually begins with waiting. All of the other ways in which we mark time, uh, the beginning of something new starts with the arrival of that new thing. Uh, but the Christian year doesn't begin with arrival, it begins with anticipation. And I think this shows us that in life, the arrival of something new or transformative is almost always preceded by a time of waiting, anticipation, or even darkness and silence. Okay? I want to say that again because uh, it's early in the sermon. I'm not confident that you caught it. So let me say it again. Uh, what this shows us, the Christian year beginning with anticipation, this shows us that in life, the arrival of something new and transformative is almost always preceded by a time of waiting, anticipation, sometimes even darkness or silence. Um, and I, so I think it's significant that when we, kind of, when we enter into the beginning of the, a new year, uh, a new Christian year, it's not with Christmas and the arrival of the, the king, it's, the, it's with anticipation and waiting. Okay, so I think it's significant. In fact, I would say that, uh, that the Advent is more about the journey toward what is coming than a remembrance of what has been. The Advent is more a journey about what is coming than what has already been. So we join with ancient Israel and we long for the coming of the Messiah to come again in order to make all things new, to put things back to right. Uh, and in fact, it's an epic journey, but as with epic, any epic journey, uh, there are disorienting moments and there are seasons of uncertainty, right? Uh, as, as, as we kind of enter into this season of waiting in, in life, we always have seasons of disorientation, we always have seasons of uncertainty. And, and then questions arise on the journey. Questions like, are we even on the right road, right? If you kind of take life as a metaphor or like a journey for a metaphor, uh, if you're anything like me, you have asked the question, am I even on the right road? <laughs> like, am I going in the right direction at all, right? There's been seasons in my life where I've wondered that. Uh, we also maybe face questions like, uh, do we have all the things that we need, right? Do I have all the resources that I need for when I get there or for the journey itself? Do, am I prepared for where this journey will lead me and where this will take me? Do I have everything that I need? Or then there's the classic question of any journey, uh, and actually how, I've, how we've decided to title this series, and that is, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? 
uh, right? Any, any journey of almost any length uh, kind of includes this question of are we there yet? Uh, certainly kind of the long road trips of summer vacation, but man, when your kids are young, you could be going to Target and it's like, are we there yet? And it's like, we live three minutes away, you know? With the second we get in the car, it's like, are we there yet? Let's, let's start a Doc McStuffins, you know? Let's, let's get this on board, right? And so you kind of have this, this classic stuff going on. Now, typically that question if, of are we there yet, typically it's kind of voiced um, with, a, with a bit of a whine, often coming from the back seat, uh, but that's not the intention here, right? That's not the intention here. Uh, the intention of this Advent is that, the, is that the question would be a plea for God to break into our midst and show us the way in the moments when we are disoriented, right? That, that this, this question of are we there yet, what if we turned that from kind of a whine to a prayer of like a way of leaning in and saying, God, would you break into our midst? Would you show us the way forward? even in the midst of disorientation or uncertainty that we might feel. Um, and then that it might also be like this anchor of hope that, that would remain in the midst of that uncertainty. That, that even in the midst of all these questions about the journey, that we would maintain hope. Um, and so, that's, so the series, uh, our Advent series this year is Are We There Yet? And it's really meant to be a prayer that God would break into our midst and show us the way. Uh, what are the ways in which we're supposed to be leaning into uh, in this Advent season? Uh, so, because this series is really an invitation to journey toward the new world that God is bringing. If we take Advent as kind of recognizing that, that emotionally or in the life of the Christian, we're, we're both supposed to be looking back in celebration and joy for the first Christmas, uh, but what I really want to lean into, because it's a way of waiting, it's a way of anticipation, it's a way of recognizing that everything isn't quite as it should be, is looking forward, right? Is, is looking forward to the ways, the world that God is bringing about. Um, and so it's, it's actually an invitation to journey toward the new world that God is bringing, to wait with active anticipation of the new realities that God will establish his kingdom when his kingdom comes to bear on all of creation. Uh, and so this Advent, I invite you to journey toward, and this is what we'll look at, peace, hope, joy, trust, and then on Christmas Eve, love. Um, so those are the themes that we'll be looking at. Uh, and, and actually, we're gonna, be, uh, we're gonna be using two texts for every week. Um, and we're going to be using the lectionary text. If you don't know what the lectionary is, that's okay. Uh, it's basically a, a universal help for preachers so that we're not starting from scratch every single Sunday. Uh, and it's kind of done on a three-year cycle. We don't always preach from the lectionary, but sometimes during like liturgical seasons that we really are leaning into, I like to pick up on that. Uh, and so all of the gospel texts are going to be in the gospel of Matthew. And then we're going to be looking at the prophetic texts, which are all in Isaiah. So I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Uh, you can follow along on the screens as well if you'd rather do that. Uh, but Matthew 24, I want to read verses 36 through 44. Then we'll jump right into Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, which Roma read uh, um, for us earlier, but we want to hear it again. So Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 36, says this. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels uh, in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. 
For as the days of Noah uh, were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away, so too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in a field, one will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken uh, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would, have let his house, would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour." And then let's look over at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says this, In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established at the highest mountains and shall be raised above the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction." And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Kind of using Advent as a metaphor for journey, uh, I think it's important to recognize that at the beginning of every journey is an essential choice. And it's a choice that we often maybe overlook or ignore or don't even recognize that we've made. But the choice is this, shall I go or not? Shall we go on this journey or not? Shall I stay and continue to embrace that which is familiar and comfortable, or shall I go and risk the unknown, right? Because going carries with it the possibility of finding something unsettling, but also the possibility of finding something beautiful. It carries with it the possibility of finding something drab and unexciting, or it carries with it the possibility of finding something absolutely breathtaking. And so the beginning of every journey starts with a choice. Shall I go or shall I stay? And sometimes you may find that the journey is thrust upon you, that you are a traveler along for the ride, in which case you may feel, I didn't have that choice. But even in that case, you still do, in fact, have a choice. Are you going to enter into the spirit of the journey or sit with arms folded, head down, grumpy face on, right? Your choice is whether you are going to add to the joy of the journey or make it miserable for everyone, including yourself. And so every journey begins with a choice. And here's what I want to say, that on the journey of faith, we need more Christians willing to go into that which is unknown. We need more Christians willing to take the risk of going rather than staying. Because isn't it true that once we find a place of comfort, that we just want to stay there? But on the journey of faith, we need more Christians willing to move away from certitude and toward new vistas of perspective and belief. 
Our gospel text from Matthew talks about those who are caught off guard and are surprised. Uh, that they're going about their daily lives uh, and their daily work in much of the same way as you and I, right? In fact, it's important to note that in the gospel text, it describes a whole bunch of tasks, uh, and, and ne- none of them are necessarily bad things, right? Uh, they're not anti-faith things at all, uh, whether it's, the, whether it's uh, the life things of eating and drinking, sharing life in common, relationships, extended families, uh, whether it's the labor of our hands, Uh, tilling the fields, grinding the corn, punching the time clock, filling in the forms, tightening the screws, whatever it is, all of it is work that needs to be done, and it's all about kind of building a life. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing anti-faith about that. In fact, I would want you to see your work, whatever it is that you do, as participation in the ongoing creative work of God, that, that work in its, in its essence, is kind of a way of, of arranging and organizing creation for the good of others. Yes? Right? You've heard me say that before, but it's just a good reminder that this is what work is. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with the, with the tasks that are being participated in in this passage. The problem, though, in this passage, is that because of the busyness of their lives, the folks in this passage aren't paying attention. That just in the days of Noah, when people were surprised by the flood, so will be the return of Christ if we aren't watchful, is essentially the the core of the passage. And so the call in Matthew's gospel in this text this week is indeed the, the call of all of Advent and the season of Advent, and that is to wake up and to pay attention to what is going on around you. To wake up and to pay attention to what is going on around you. Now, some might hear that and say, this is the kind of paying attention that tries to put puzzle pieces of end times together. Some might hear that encouragement and say, oh, I need to be uh, watchful of the today's headlines and then try to fit that into kind of a fictional uh, biblical timeline of events, right? That's one version of being watchful. I think the watchfulness that's being talked about here is that of looking up from our responsibilities and from our certainties to see the ways in which God is at work bringing about his kingdom and loving rule. Let me say that again. The watchfulness is not one of trying to fit today's headlines into sort of some fictional uh, biblical timeline of the end, right? But rather the watchfulness is that of looking up from our responsibilities and from all of our certainties to see the ways in which God is at work to bring about his kingdom and loving rule. Now, sometimes we're led to believe that God will complete the work of bringing about his kingdom all on his own through divine executive action, right? Uh, Have you ever heard that? There's nothing we can do. In the end, God is just going to do it all himself anyway, right? And so some are very content to believe that that sort of divine executive action in the end is going to make everything right. Uh, Some have even tried to use this very passage to create a whole theology of being taken and left behind, uh, a whole theology that is, in my opinion, at best misled and dangerous at, at its worst. Okay? And while there is a certain level of confidence that God will accomplish the work of his kingdom... We cannot ignore the fact that since the beginning, God has invited us as partners in his mission. 
And I don't want that to be lost on us, right? I don't want that, I don't want that fact to be lost on the people of God, that, that God has invited us as partners in his mission. And this has been true since the very beginning because what you get in Genesis is, is not God created everything and then just sort of let it go, um, but rather that God created humanity and the world and then commissioned humanity to embody his reign and rule in the world, to, to be his kind of co-rulers, his co-creators. And so this, there's this invitation to partner with God in his mission, that we are to remain awake and ready, but also willing to work in practical ways towards God, toward God's reign. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I can see it on your faces. This is just what Andy preaches about all the time. Does he have anything else to say? Um, and the truth is, is, yeah, I have a few other things to say, but this is the main thing, okay? Uh, and it's the main thing because... Because we need to hear it again and again. And part of the, part of the wisdom of the, of the Christian calendar and the rhythms that we participate in is we get a chance to look up from our busyness and our responsibilities and to pay attention, which is precisely the call of the Matthew 24 passage. It's folks who were going about their everyday lives. Nothing was necessarily wrong with what they were doing. They were doing good things. They were building a life. They were doing the stuff. But they were so busy with all their, their responsibilities and all of that that they forgot to wake up. They forgot to be reminded. And so part of, a, part of the, the role of gathering every seven days is just to say, Lord, I'm going to set aside some time to give, to lean in and give my attention to the things of God, right? And certainly we should be doing that on our own throughout the week, but it's just this corporate way of saying, this, this way of I'm going to gather with the people of God, turn my attention to what is important in the world because it is so easy for me to get busy. Now, the, ch the chances are, if we're busy, 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 we're not thinking about it, we come up, we hear it, oh, Pastor Andy says it all the time. Busy, 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 Pastor Andy says it all the time. But I'd be willing to bet. That was probably real loud on the podcast, like, bah! So, I'd be willing to bet, though, that after some time, we're so thankful for the opportunities we had to be reminded that God has invited us to partner with him in bringing about his rule and his reign in the world. And Advent is a season of living into that. Now here's the thing. Some people might be content to wait for a supernatural appearance that will answer all of our questions and resolve all of our doubts. And sort of this passive waiting God's going to do it all through divine action, and then in that moment, through this kind of supernatural swoop, all questions will be answered, all doubts resolved. And that may be true. But I think most of us also want something a little more real world than that. We want our faith to have legs and hands. We want our faith to be tangible. What are the ways in which we can practically begin to enter into this, this participation that God has called us to. And I think this is where the prophet Isaiah is so helpful. The prophet Isaiah, in the passage that we've heard this morning, envisions a world 
that is not like the one in which he lives. Can I also say it this way? The prophet Isaiah envisions a world that is not like the one in which we live. And yet it remains the same that he envisions a world. And the world in, that he sees is the world in which God's rule is fully established. It's a world where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, which is precisely what Jesus will teach his disciples to pray many years later. Right? But, but before Jesus ever taught his disciples to pray that prayer, the prophet Isaiah was seeing pictures of what that would begin to look like and what, what, what that might uh, be in very practical ways. And so this vision and others like it helped then to give us a picture of what we are to be journeying toward. You with me? This picture and others like it give us this kind of idea of what we're supposed to be moving toward. And so during Advent, we lean in closer to the world as it should be or one day will be, not the world as it is. This is what Advent is about. Advent is about leaning into the world as it should be or the world as it one day will be, not necessarily working with the world as it already is. Wait, you might say. This is just a vision. It's a dream. It's a glance into the unreality of, of what uh, isn't yet to be, right? Uh, so what is the value of that? Well, it's a Part of, to part of your statement, I might say you're right. Even Isaiah admits so much. He admits as much as what you've just said. He says, in the days to come. <laughs> he doesn't say right now. He doesn't say today. But he says one day. He says someday. And so here's a complaint I often hear. Let's live in the world as it is. Not as what we wish were true. And this is true, I hear this a lot. Pastor Andy, great sermon, super encouraging, all that kind of stuff. But shouldn't we live in the world as it is, uh, not as we wish it were? Um, I think I might say, I haven't said this, but I think I'm going to start saying this. I think I might tell a story about Michelangelo who's perhaps the greatest sculptor that has ever lived. And when asked about his sculpting, he said this. Every block of stone has a statue inside of it. It is the task of the sculptor to find it. To which I would say, what, first of all, a beautiful description of God's work in us, personally in us, that, that we are these blocks of stone that God in his care and in his graciousness begins to work and mold and chip away to form in us his own image to greater and greater degrees. That, that we ourselves are, are the stone of, that God is working on, right? But what a great thing, not just for us individually and God's work toward us. But what a great picture of the people of God working in the world that, that I would say, no, it's not our responsibility to work with the world as it is. It's our responsibility to see the world as it one day could be. To see the world as it might be, as it will be, based on our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ, amen? 
that it's not just because, listen, I could look at the world and I could get real discouraged real fast. You with me? And, and there would just be like no hope. But Advent is this, this season in which we lean in and we say, God, would you give me eyes to see the world as it one day could be under your loving reign and rule? And then, here's the thing, once we have eyes to see that, once we've kind of looked at the block of stone, but we've seen the sculpture inside of it, then we can begin to chip away and work to reveal the sculpture, the statue. Then it's only, it's only with the vision to see that which is not yet that we know how to work toward it. But if we, well, I'm, getting, I'm preaching now, right? It was just a warm-up up to this, okay? So it was, but it's like all the things, if we never have eyes to see, then we will be trying to work in the dark. We'll just be knocking stone away, but we have no idea what we're doing, okay? And so Michelangelo, I think, has... So much wisdom for us. Every block of stone has a statue inside of it. It is the task of the sculptor to find it. And so I would just say, what could be more practical than taking our lives, our culture, our community, and then carving away anything that doesn't look like the vision that we have of God's reign? And and here's the thing. With Isaiah's vision of peace as a guide, we could make the choice to journey toward the realization of a dream, and that will change how we live today. That will change how we live today. We could work to chip away our, our addiction to violence. We could work to chip away our propensity toward unforgiveness. We could work, away, work to chip away uh, at, at the hate that we see in the world and even discern in our own hearts, right? But we have to have a vision to see. And this is why, this is why I love Advent so much. It's about learning to see. Advent's about learning to see. And then, and then Christmas comes. And, and like the kids are like, Christmas. <laughs> and Christmas is not a single day, but a 12-day season of celebrating the birth of the Messiah. So think about it this way. Advent is learning to see. Christmas is recognizing that the strength and the power that we need to chip away the statue is made available to us in Christ. That in fact the Messiah has come. That the Savior has come. That the Spirit has been poured out and given to us and sent us on a mission. And we just, we just practice that over the cycle of a whole year, again and again and again, year after year after year, so that this Advent will learn to see a little bit clearer than we did last Advent and the Advent before that. And then, and then what we see kind of blurry right now, next Advent will be a little more clear. And we'll know, okay, now we need to go and do this. Now we know what parts to chip away. Now we know what we need to do. Using this vision as our guide, 
We can choose to risk going on a journey toward God's new world. And be certain that when you risk going on a journey toward God's new world, (laughs) that journey will question some of your assumptions. That journey will question some of the assumptions that you've had. It will encourage us to let go of some of our certainties, the things that we thought we were so certain of, we may not be so certain of. But when we commit to risk going on the journey, I promise you we will enter into new vistas of God's peaceable kingdom. And so Advent... It's about anticipating something that is on the horizon. It's about something greater than we can imagine on our own. Something that speaks of God breaking into the world as we do now know it, but God is moving us beyond what we know now. The season calls us and our communities to choose the ways of peace in our homes, in our communities, in our online presence as a a starting point, right? (laughs) And from there, the season calls us to begin to have an influence in the ways of peace, calling for peacemaking in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our governments, in our community priorities, and so forth. That what would happen if the people of God began to be committed to the ways of peace and began training? I, I, love, I love the Isaiah passage. He's, he basically says, in this vision of God's reign and rule, in this vision of God's world, people will not need to learn about war anymore. <laughs> and so what if we, as the people of God, began to really lean into that and, and, and kind of holding on to all of the complexities, right? Just recognizing that this is full of complexity and there are no easy answers. But what if, what if we just started leaning into, what if we dedicated less time and space and energy to training for war and, tra- and instead started training for peace. You know what I love about some of our, and in in Colorado's on the leading edge of this, and some of our law enforcement agencies in Colorado, they're training officers on, on nonviolent training of how to peaceably get into a situation and resolve it without any kind of conflict or violence. And I love that. And the, the, the Colorado law enforcement agencies uh, are working toward like restorative justice practices and these types of things. And I love that because it's kind of holding in that tension, right? Again, because there's no easy answers, but it's just this way of like, how do we lean into that? And what would happen if we began to train for peace rather than train for war? What if we began to learn the ways of peace rather than learning the ways of violence? And so I would say this. When it comes to waiting during Advent, we can wait with all sorts of postures. Uh, but there's two primary choices, right? One is we can, it's an inactive waiting. Uh, we can wait, we can be patient, but we can be inactive. Uh, knowing or believing that true transformation will only come from God. And I think that's right. True transformation only comes from God. Um, but at the same time, knowing that can even move us toward an active waiting, which is we choose to journey toward the world that Advent promises. We choose to actively journey toward the world that Advent promises by walking in the ways of peace even now. With all of the complications of that and all the nuances of that and all the gray areas of that, but just leaning into it and, and, and asking the question, what does it mean to be people of peace.
Well, today, we're going to flip around the order a little bit, and we're going to go right into our prayer time. And just, just figuring and believing that this uh, sermon needed some space uh, where God might speak to us and just uh, stir in our hearts. And so I'll, I'll invite Rick up, who's going to lead our time of prayer. Um, and I encourage you during this time uh, to lean into the Spirit of Christ what is it that God would want to move in you, stir in you? What is it that God would want to, to do in your life and in your heart? Uh, is there a specific response that he might be calling you to? Um, and so I invite you to engage with God as Rick leads us in prayer together. I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, you are holy, and all your ways are holy. No God is as great as you. You perform great signs and wonders. You display your power among the peoples. You created the heavens and the earth and everything that exists. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, and you lead your people like a flock. So we remember your mighty deeds, and we meditate on all of your works. You are our rock and our fortress, our strong refuge in time of trouble. And your promises are sure and steadfast, and all of our hope is in you. So today our hearts are filled with praise for you, and we glorify your name. We confess, though, Lord, that um, we have not always been uh, as aware of your presence and your gracious acts on our behalf as we should be. As Andy reminds us, <clears throat> we tend to get so wrapped up in the details of our work and our daily routines that we sometimes don't recognize your grace at work in the world or even in our own lives. So forgive us, Lord, for our self-centeredness and short-sightedness. Help us to wake up and pay attention to what's going on around us. Lord, we thank you for hearing our confession and for extending to us your forgiving mercy and your grace. Thank you for inviting us into partnership with you in building your kingdom here on earth. And we're grateful for our families and our jobs, our health and the other riches that you've bestowed on us, all of them as a means to wisely manage the world that you've entrusted to us. And now I would ask that you would take a moment to silently count your own blessings and offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Thanks be to God. And Lord, most of every, all, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, who was promised by the prophets and who was born among us as a human, who taught us about the kingdom of God, who lived and who died for our sakes, who was raised to new life, and who will fulfill the promise of your kingdom when he comes again. And now we bring to you our requests in the confidence that if we ask anything according to your will, that you'll hear us. 
So we humbly ask that you would send us patience and grace to wait faithfully for your appearing. May we not lose hope or heart when faced with trials and troubles, for we know that your kingdom will ultimately prevail. In the meantime, give us eyes to see things from your perspective. Help us to envision a world where people settle disputes without violence, and justice with mercy is evenly given. And not only for these big picture issues, but also help us to recognize your activity in the smaller things, the daily details of our own lives. Grant us the strength and the courage to act accordingly to your will once we see and recognize it. As we offer to God our requests, I would invite you to add your own requests, prayer, prayers to God for your family and your workers, co-workers and neighbors, and yourself. Lord, thank you for hearing our requests. We ask that you would fulfill our desires and requests as might be best for your kingdom, and we will be careful to give you the glory. And now, as members of your kingdom, we remember and we pray together the prayer that you taught your first disciples, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.